to say and sometimes it seems that this word of God there is so much there that to try and put it down so I can even get it out is almost impossible and there's so many things that tied in <clears throat> but I will read one verse from the 51st chapter of Isaiah and I pray you'll bear with me if I jump around to other spots more than be there but <clears throat> reading the first verse in Jesus name that's Isaiah 51 verse 1 <clears throat> Sorry, well, 53, I meant. I turned to the thing and they're sitting in the same place. That's Isaiah 53, 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Amen. This is the beginning of a chapter that Isaiah wrote, and it speaks of Christ, of his coming, and of his death and resurrection. But I believe that this question, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed, is something that, yes, I think it is good that we would question it, I guess I would say, on a worldwide basis. We would pray that God would reveal himself to people. And yet it is something that it is not in our ability to do that, to reveal God or Christ to someone. That is in his power and in his time. And yet he, he would instruct us that we would share this message and that we would share it that People could hear it, and it is, before we know it, it's through this word that he reveals himself. We can turn to the book of Romans, I believe it's in the 10th chapter. And Paul writes these words. It says, this is, Romans 10. For there is no difference between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. So he first instructs us that it doesn't matter who we are. The word of God is for us. We know that God came to the Jewish people and he revealed through them because he brought Christ through them. But it wasn't limited to them. It is for everybody. And that's what Paul says here. And it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we hear that and it sounds like a very simple thing that we would call upon the name of the Lord. And I know that I have told people that I do not believe that there is any, that there is not one heart that is truly seeking God that he will not come to and not reveal himself to. But it is not something that we find in our human nature 
that we would look for God. It is something that he through his spirit puts in us. And that is what we would desire, that this word would prick hearts, that it would turn people, that they would see that perhaps there is a need for something besides their own reasoning, that there is something that is more important and bigger than even our natural life and death. And it is what we would, if I would say, call being saved. It is something that we would, that we would know when we pass from this life where we are going. It says here, then how then shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? So that we receive, we see that in calling upon Christ, there is a requirement even to do it. To be able to call upon him, we must believe in him. So there is the fact that we must believe. And in, in Hebrews it tells us that it is by faith that we do these things. And I believe it tells us that further on in that portion in Romans. It tells us in Hebrews that it is impossible to But without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. We hear that same thing. There must be a belief that there is a God. And we are speaking of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That triune God. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It is that a heart would have a deep desire to know God, to come to Him, and to call on Him that He, we could understand that it is Him, and that message of Christ and what Christ has done, that we are looking to that as our all in all and as to what saves us. It says, how then shall they call upon on him in whom they have not believed? It is that thing that if you don't believe in something, what, what need or use is it? We hear all sorts of, um, I guess you could say myths and fairy tales and things like that. And why would you worry about I could pick up any number of them, but they talk about gnomes and and things like this. If you have no belief in, in something, what good is it to you? So you must first believe that Christ is to call on him. And these it keeps going on here and says, How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And this is where we start seeing that we as Christians who believe in Christ come into the picture. Because it is given to us that we, un- we have heard these things. And so we are put and given that commission that we would share that message. And it says, how shall I hear without a preacher? 
and yes, it speaks perhaps of people who stand in this place, but I believe more importantly, it speaks of each and every living Christian's walk. That our life would be a testimony of what is in our heart and what we believe. And that we would walk in such a way that our faith in Christ is there and that it would show up. And I know and I've heard others say and I think it is just how it is. Oftentimes it seems much easier to see someone else's faith than to see ours because we can see what we are. We can see how it is that we fail constantly. And and Paul, and it's a little, I can't, I don't know if I can turn to it here. Maybe it's a little further in Romans here, but he, he laments the fact how it is that the things that he would do, he finds that he doesn't do, and the things that he wouldn't do, he finds himself doing. And it is how it is. We know how God would want us to walk many times. And we find that this human nature is so contrary to to that. How it would instruct us to treat others. I can turn to one simple thing that I think many times about, and it's in, in Matthew, in part of the Sermon on the Mount. And it says... <clears throat> um, if any man will sue thee at the law to take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. And it goes on there. And I do not find those things in my human nature. If someone's going to come and take me to court over something to say, well, I will take that, I might as well take this too. And do it from the heart. I would tend to fight to keep knowing you're not having that. It's how we are. But then I also have to admit, and thanks be to God, that there is times where things happen and my first instinct is to lash out or retaliate or seek revenge. And I can only marvel at the power of God that He can overcome that And we can be kind to someone who's done us wrong and care. Then it says, How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed a report. And here we see Paul quoting that first part of that verse that I read in Isaiah. We see that not everybody is going to hear that message and believe it. And we leave that with God. That doesn't change what it is that we would share in that message, that gospel message. But we see here 
how shall they preach except they be sent? And in, in Matthew, Jesus would tell us that we would, he would give us instructions that we would have a prayer. At the end of the ninth chapter, it, my um, Bible has a little thing here. It says the need for labors. It says, and when he saw the multitude speaking of Jesus, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And he said unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest. And I think as Christians, we perhaps are the ones who see most clearly how large the harvest is because we know how many people Jesus died for. He died for everyone. That message is for all of mankind and we would desire that everyone would hear it and believe it and we share that And we see how few there seem to be that are sharing that truth. And I believe that it is a good thing that there would be that prayer in our heart that God would send forth laborers. That he would send people with a heart maybe simply to walk as a Christian. And if God gives words, that we would be willing to share that, as James says, that we would, not James, Peter, says that we would be, that we would be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That if someone would ask, what is it? that makes us act the way we do. If the fact that Christ lives in our heart shines through, that we would be willing always, if someone has a question, to share that with them. It is, can sometimes be a difficult thing because it is something that doesn't add up to our natural reasoning. We are no different than anybody else. As I say often, there's two types of people. There's sinners, and there's sinners who are saved by the grace of God through what Christ has done. We're no better than anybody else. We have the same failings, the same problems. But we have a hope beyond this life. And the importance and focus of it is beyond this life. And that's not saying that there aren't things here that are important. There is. But when we understand, and hopefully when they start seeming to be too important and too overwhelming, God will be so good as to bring us to that place where we can remember that, no, in the big picture these things are not so important. So we would desire that there would be those who would be sent, that people could hear, that they could 
believe so that they could call upon Christ. That God could reveal himself to them. That portion that I read there in Isaiah where it says, And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? I would hope and believe that the most important person that we would question that for is for ourselves. Is it that we are one? Is it that we would have a heart that God would reveal himself to us? It tells us, I believe it's in Timothy, that Paul writes to him, that, I don't know if I can turn to it here. He says that, um, it's Thessalonians, that the, that the husbandman must be first partaker of the fruit. And I can't turn to it to read it, but that's what it says. And it tells us that one who is working in the vineyard, to do that even, you must be partaker of the fruit. And we know that the fruit from a vineyard is grapes, which is wine. And the Bible uses that, and we will even today partake of communion, where we take of the bread and wine. And that wine, it speaks to the blood of Christ. And what is it that that blood of Christ does? He shed it on the cross. Because we know even though we do not understand it because it is God and there's so little that is in our reasoning. But when man sinned, there was a payment required and man did not have what it took to pay that payment. God knew that. He sent his son to pay that payment, that he would walk as a man And I've often thought that why is it that if Eve sinned in the garden that that would get passed down to all of us? Like, leave her on her own and leave the rest of us. But that's not how God did it. And when we look at the big picture, we see the wonder of that. Because the Bible tells us that through one man's sin, all were made sinful. But then it also tells us that through one man's obedience, all are made righteous through Christ. He is the one that was able to come and walk in perfection to what God would. God doesn't just require so much perfection and the rest then gets filled in. He requires absolute perfection. And we can't come close. He knows that. But Christ did. And 
through the miracle of how God works. Because he is gracious and loving. He has said that if you believe what Christ has done, that he walked perfectly and his blood can cover for your sins. You can have that righteousness for yourself. And how it is that God can look on us as bad as we are and see perfection because he sees us through Christ. When someone believes that message, it is a wonderful miracle of God. And it is something that we can marvel at, but most importantly, he would simply ask that we would be thankful for it. <clears throat> George mentioned in, in, in his prayer, and very rightly so, that we would remember to be thankful, <clears throat> especially in, <coughs> excuse me, in this nation where we live, for so many natural blessings. We are so blessed. We can look throughout history and the wealthiest people through most of history (coughs) lived in tougher conditions than even very average people in where we live. And yet I find myself very quickly and easily looking at all the problems that we have and issues that I see with even our government, and I'm not saying that there isn't those problems. They are there, we see them. And especially as someone who believes in God and believes in His Word as being the measuring stick for right and wrong, it's very clear how, I'll use the word even ridiculous it is, the directions that some people in leadership are going And I don't think it's wrong to be aware of these things and pray for them. But be thankful for what we have. But most importantly, that we would be thankful for what Christ has done. And I think that we know and we hear, and we say those things. And it is, we can, I could go through the end of the Gospels, and we call it the Great Commission. And it is what God, I mean, when, well, God, Christ, instructed those that believe in Him to do, that we would go forth and preach repentance and remission of sins. It is the essence, if I say, of the gospel message. And people talk about what's the gospel message. And it's, a, in one way, a very large message. But I find it interesting that in the first part of Matthew, it gives an account of Jesus' coming. And then it says that he but then it says here at the end of the fourth near the end of the middle of the fourth chapter I guess it says from that time Jesus began to preach and to say so this is the first thing if I was to say that Jesus said when he started preaching 
Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is when a heart comes to that place of repentance, and it is something that human nature does not have any interest in at all. It doesn't want to change. It can't change. It is only that heart that can change within it and come to that place of repentance. And how important is it? If we keep reading down, it says, speaking of Jesus and his fame, went throughout all of Syria and they brought unto him all sick people and those possessed with devils and he healed them. And it said, And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan. These miracles that he was doing, people took notice of it and they came and they wanted to see them and partake of them. And he even tells us, if we turn to the end, that um, Herod, he had wanted to see Jesus and hoped that he could perform a miracle, that he could see that. But then it says in the fifth chapter, and this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountains, and when he was set, his disciples came unto them, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Jesus saw these multitudes that were coming there, and I believe he could see that this could be a problem. There is large number, and it tells us in one place that they were going to take him and make him into a king and he he didn't let them why? because he tells us his kingdom was not of this world what he had came up to came to set up was of the heart it was something that goes beyond life here it is something that is in eternity And it is deeper and more important than anything else here. And Jesus, I believe, saw that all these people following could be a problem. And I believe then the first part of this Sermon on the Mount where they talk about, and it's called the Beatitudes. It is him speaking of repentance. And he is instructing his disciples that this is the first and foremost thing. It says he opened his mouth and taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And when we talk about being a Christian, it is that we would, spiritually speaking, dwell in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why is it that we would think that someone, we desire and pray that we would be given the Spirit of God? And we know that is a good spirit. But I believe that is saying that first and foremost we must realize that we have nothing to offer God. It tells us that our the best that we have to offer are his filthy rags. Paul says that the good that he would 
that he did, he found it was his dung. It was no good. We have nothing to offer God as payment for what we are. <clears throat> that is what he is telling them here. And it is the place someone must come to when they come to repentance. That they would realize we have nothing to offer. And it is a good place to be because it says that that allows us to become the, king, the kingdom of God. Can be, God can work with that heart and give his kingdom there. Then it says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. <clears throat> Not only do we see that we have nothing to offer God, but we see what sinful beings we are. And if he reveals a little bit of the perfection that he is, and we see where we are, and we know the result of that, and know the results of being away from God, especially once we have died, and face eternity, it is a sad place to be. It is a horrible place to be, where we would be there with just the sinfulness that we are standing before God, with nothing to offer. But it says, if we recognize that, it says, <clears throat> you're blessed because they shall be comforted. God does not leave anybody there. He brings comfort. And how does he bring comfort? Through that gospel message. That comfort for <clears throat> what our sins and what sinners we are is that message that the blood of Christ covers those things. We are free of them. They're washed away. We, God sees them no more. It says they're washed away as far as the east is from the west. That they are taken away from us. And I marvel at that. They talk about, and I, I don't think it's quite true, but it's kind of a thought out there that it took people, they thought the world was flat, and <clears throat> and then it was only recently that, relatively, that they found out it was round. But we can even look at that statement and we see that God knew. You can go as far east as you want and you never get west. If it was north to south, there's a limit on that. You can go south so far and then you start going north again. <clears throat> but east and west, there's no end of it. You can go east forever or west forever. And that's how far those sins are removed from us if we believe in Christ. And anybody who has heard and believed let me back up. If anyone has struggled with sin and heard that message, that believed that forgiven in the name and blood of Christ, and believed that message, it is a comfort beyond words. <clears throat> it is something that you can't describe. And I believe that is why one of the main reasons why it says the husbandman must be first partaker. If you have never heard or believed that message for yourself, 
how can you share it with others? It's just another theory, perhaps. But someone who's experienced it, it's not a theory. And we know what we are. And if God, if the blood of Christ can cover my sins, it can cover anybody's. And it's easy to share that because it is so true. Not easy to share, but it is easy to understand how God can forgive someone else. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. When we've come to that place and our hearts have been touched and that message of what Christ has done is believed and we see how little we have to do with it. Can it do anything but humble us? We, we have nothing to offer. It is that we have a gracious and loving God who's done it all. And all he says is believe this. Believe that my son was enough payment for what you have done. And that's the problem. This human nature doesn't want to be humble. But it's a humbling place. And God says it is a good place. It says, for they shall inherit the earth. And I believe that it is speaking of that in Revelations where John says he saw the new heavens and new earth coming down. You will inherit salvation. You will have, there is a place for you. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. When that day of judgment comes, your judgment's already been pronounced. You will hear, Come ye blessed of the Father. <clears throat> if I put it this way, I believe that we have a choice. The Bible tells us that all everybody will stand before God and answer for what he's done. That isn't... That isn't debatable. That's how it will be. But we have a choice. We can come in this period of time when the day when there's grace available and we can stand and this is very much in Shane's terms, please bear with me. We can stand before God and say, I have nothing. But there's one here, your son, who said that I can, he'll take it all. If that's enough, here I am. And God has promised to honor that. Or we can wait till we die and go stand before God and say, well, here's the good I've done and here's the bad I've done. Is it good enough? The Bible would tell us that We can't come close. In reality, the question isn't so much how bad we are. The question is, did you believe in what Christ has done to cover what you did? And if that, if you haven't, then you're dealing with God. And yes, He is righteous, and just the
problem is we aren't. But Christ is. It says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. When that message is believed, a heart, we hunger for what Christ has to offer. And it is even, as I already spoke, of that bread and wine, that bread, that message of Christ Jesus that feeds the undying portion. We know that we have to eat to live. If we quit eating, we die. It's very simple. Spiritually, it's how it is also. This bread of life, that message of Christ Jesus, it sustains us, it gives us strength to walk. And we hunger. It says it's a blessed place to be, to hunger for that, because, why? God has promised to fill us. And we can read of those natural miracles where He fed 4,000 and 5,000 and however many people were there with just a little bit, few loaves and fishes. And I think it can tell us that sometimes, and especially someone coming to this place, we feel sometimes like we don't have very much. But God can bless it so that people are fed. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now this is speaking of someone who has come through that repentance. And they believe. And we understand the mercy that God has shown to us. And can we do anything but be merciful to others? Well, we can. But we would pray not. We would pray that that spirit that has come to dwell in a heart would show forth and we could show mercy on other people's failures just as God has showed to ours it said blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God how can we be pure of heart through Christ when we have Christ dwelling in our heart it is His purity is there. And we can be sure. We have in John, and I believe it's in the first epistle of John, and I believe it's misquoted oftentimes. It says, fear ca- perfect love casteth out all fear. People say, well, if you're scared of something, you don't have that love. But they don't read the rest of it. It speaks of the day of judgment. And this is saying the same thing. When we have Christ dwelling in our heart, we see God. And we have no fear of that day of judgment. Why? Because Christ is there. And we trust that what He has done is enough. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And this, yes, in the natural sense, as a Christian, we would desire that we would try to live peaceably with others, that we would try to encourage others to live in harmony. But first and foremost, as a child of God, and this says, for they shall be called the children of God, 
is that we would believe that message that we are to be priests and kings and that we would share that gospel message. And what does that message bring? I already said it. It brings peace to a heart that believes it. That we would share that message with hearts and with people. That that message, that their sins are washed away. That they could walk with a clean conscience and and know that there is peace between them and God. It is the most wonderful kind of peacemaker that we can be. And it is something that it doesn't matter how bad things in the world gets. If there is a peace in a heart with God, there's comfort there. And we know that if there isn't that peace there, it doesn't matter how good our life seems to be, there's not peace there. It says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. This is something that we would not like to hear. And yet it is true. If you are willing to stand as a Christian. People aren't going to like it. It's going to cause problems. And it isn't that we would go out looking to try to cause problems with others. And I've even seen people who kind of wear it as a badge that they can get on on the fight with someone and, and claim Christianity. It's not that way. We are to be humble. We are to walk humbly. But people will not like it. And we don't marvel at that because our own human nature doesn't like it. We find that battle within our own beings. My human nature would want to do something different than that Spirit of God. It starts right there. And so we go back. It says, To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? To who God reveals it. We cannot reveal God to somebody. But he has given us that commission that we would share that message. Simply put, that we would share with others what he has done for us. And assure them that it isn't just for me. It's for you too. It's for everyone. Not everyone will believe. We know that. Isaiah, he says, Who hath believed our report? Paul tells us when he quotes that that many don't. That's not ours. That's God's. We would pray that the arm of the Lord would be revealed to our hearts. And that God would give us hearts to trust and believe in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, Amen.
Many of us fall like that. Well, I like walk out of the house. You know, I act like you knew me, but I try to 